The Start On Demand. On demand. The day is finally here. Back to school. And McNabb went back to school today. She went to hang out at Bairdmore School in the Pemina Trails Division to see what is up on this first day back. Also today, you'll hear some of Richard Cloutier's one-on-one conversation with Brian Pallister. We're only one week out, not even a week out, from the provincial election. And what is something that is legal that should be illegal? Like talking on your cell phone's speakerphone in public? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, September 4th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, today is the day that I'm sure parents across the land are celebrating. Is that an accurate statement? As I was finishing up some back-to-school items yesterday and my kids are squabbling, but like they're having fun, they're wrestling in the store, and then I'm moving them in to get a haircut and I'm wrangling them from the collars like a lion, you know, by the neck where I just like pick them up. I have this other guy turn to me and he, he was more of the grandfatherly age and he goes... Don't worry, we've all been there. It'll be over soon. <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, he gets it." They're they're excited. Mine I'm excited. are not excited. They're, they're, they're Different last, ages. Yeah, last year of junior high school for them, or middle school, I think, as we're calling it now. And I said, "Have a great day tomorrow, guys. Have fun." Yeah, no, I'm not excited, Dad. Oh, come on, you guys, seriously, is this where we're at? <laughs> where you're already dreading school? Like, embrace it. You get to see your friends again. Yeah, that's not going to cut it down. I was never excited to go back to school. I feel it. Don't like, I can feel the nerves of that. Like, so the kids get to meet the teachers yesterday. They're younger, so that's good for them to go to school and see where they're going to sit and those kinds of things just to help them with any worries. But even as I'm walking into the school, I felt that like butterfly, nervous, almost vomit feeling that you sometimes would have because the older you got, there's other things going on besides just. You know, like who you're going to sit next to at class. There's all sorts of other things to worry about. I, I get it. I can remember the my first day of grade eight being in the shower with the Clearasil soap and going, <laughs> why soap. did I do this all summer? Right, <laughs> right. The agony and the, and, and the anticipation of seeing people in a lot of cases you haven't seen all summer. And for me, grade eight was weird because I was going back to a school that I went to for grades one through four, went away for grades five, six, seven, and then came back in grade eight. So I was going back to see people, people that were my friends when I was a little kid, including my old girlfriend from grade two and grade three. <laughs> and I didn't want her to see me with all, you know, all this acne, acne on yeah, my I face. Mean, gosh. It was too late. I needed to think about it. Way, she moved on, way man. before that. Yeah, that what? she did. What was your feeling like you said you didn't you weren't excited for back to school was it because of the school or was there other things going on or just uh, the well I, I just generally didn't like I still actually to this day if I wake up uh, between seven and eight o'clock for whatever reason I feel like I'm waking up to go to school oh my <laughs> and I and I hate that feeling I just you despise were great it. at school I was good at school but I wasn't good at uh at being liked I suppose I was one of the the unpopular kids so that made life difficult 
that's, through school. That's such a normal thing, I think, you know, that feeling of wanting to be cool and what outfit you're going to wear in the morning and who's going to be there to talk to and who's going to share a locker with you or all the rest, right? I think that's... Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like actually clenching my fists right now thinking about it. And I had a relatively decent school experience looking back. But when you're in it, you feel that. Ugh. And I remember showing up uh, first day of school in grade nine. So this is when we uh, I started at College Pierre Elliott Trudeau and I wasn't familiar with the layout and I couldn't find my class. Mm. So I was la- the last one to show up and I walked in very awkwardly and the teacher looked super grumpy. Monsieur Allard was his name. And uh, I just grabbed a, a spot that was open, but apparently it wasn't my spot because the seats were assigned. So I sat down and I knocked something over and then he said, no, you're not sitting there. You're sitting over there. And then I said something in English nervously and he told me not French only. And I thought, oh, God. Well, at least so this year's off to a bad start. At least you didn't get the desk in the hallway. There was always that one kid that got the desk in the hallway. And then you had that teacher that didn't even have to say anything. Just just point Aww. to the door. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder if they still do that. Oh, probably not. They're probably not allowed to do that anymore. We wouldn't want to, you know, embarrass anybody or or discipline them in any fashion. I remember. Sorry, I'm just remembering now in grade six. I'm not going to name the teacher or the student, but one there was this girl who was a holy terror, and <laughs> my and she was driving my teacher bonkers for weeks, and finally he just like wrapped his arms around her and picked her up and dragged her out of the class. Oh, boy, yeah. Kicking that's, and screaming. That's not happening anymore. Oh, my. Yeah, it was pretty intense. She was, so. she was awful. Uh, so. <laughs> I bet you there's lots of teachers that wish they could still, you know, take action like that. They, like, the kids have lots to think about today. The teachers have a lot to think about. And as I, as I was leaving school yesterday with my kids, we run into this mom whose daughter's going to kindergarten for the first time, and she cannot contain herself. Like her eyes were full with tears and her daughter's with this cute little backpack. And as and we know this little girl and I was like, oh, my gosh, she must be so excited. And the mom's like, I'm just not ready. I'm not going to make it. And her voice gets clenched. And I was like, hang in there. It'll be OK. But boy, it, there's moms out there, too, and dads that are full of nerves as well this morning. Well, my advice to that mother would be the same as the advice that you get sometimes when you get off the roller coaster. You feel a little nauseous. Close your eyes, bend over, breathe deeply. That feeling shall soon pass. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take it from me. Within the next 700 days or so, you'll be celebrating the first day of school. Not in a bad way. It's just it's good for them to get back in the routine and just go off. Go off, do your thing, grow, expand your horizons, just learn, and and just don't embarrass me, and don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the one-on-one chat, Loren, with Richard Cloutier and Brian Pallister. It's an important one to listen to, and so will other conversations we're playing this week with the NDP leader, because we know advanced voting is underway. Thousands of you may have marked your X, but we also know many of you haven't decided how you're going to vote come this Tuesday. And so we're taking your questions to the leaders. Yesterday was the conservative leader's turn. And here's Global's Brittany Greenslade with what Brian Pallister had to say in that conversation with Richard Cloutier about one of your top stories. Healthcare has been an ongoing sore point in Brian Pallister's campaign. Painful change for many Manitobans, and one the Conservative leader knows has been unpopular. I care deeply about having great health care today, but I want it sustainable because we're going to need it next year and the year after. After converting three emergency rooms to urgent care centres, Pallister has committed to investing $2 billion in health care 
over the next four years if re-elected. It's getting there and it got there in Calgary and it got there in Vancouver and it got there in Edmonton and it'll get there in Winnipeg too. We just got to have the courage to make the changes to make the system better. He's also promising to hire 200 more nurses and 80 rural paramedics. Pallister says he knows leading the province through difficult changes isn't easy. I think Manitobans want to have leadership that's willing to do the difficult and necessary things, that has the courage to look people in the eye and say, no, not right now, because we've got serious, serious needs, and your wants are going to have to be a little later. For Pallister, one of the biggest reasons for the health changes is to improve ER wait times in the city, which are the worst in the country. But we are the number one province on shortening our wait times now, number one on, on reducing our ambulance fees, which is really good for, in particular, seniors. And I think it's uh, those kinds of measurements that matter. However, numbers released late last week by the WRHA show wait times at Winnipeg ERs and urgent care facilities increased in all but two of the city's hospitals in July. Still, it's a commitment Pallister is standing by, along with fulfilling his full term of Premier if re-elected. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. So there's been a lot of speculation on whether Brian Pallister intends to serve a full term if elected, Greg. In fact, I think that's one of the theories behind this early call was from people saying, yeah, he's calling it early so that he can go early. I think a headline in one of our local papers today even puts an asterisk beside some of these promises because there's this, you know, implying that, well, he won't be around for all of this. Right. So we're going to play for you later on uh, this morning his full answer on that question that Richard posed to him with regard to him staying on for a full term and also why he's refused to participate in more than one debate, including one here on 680 CJOB. But we also want to talk to you about the Conservatives' plan to tackle the meth crisis and crime. We've been sharing with you stories from Winnipeggers who are beyond frustrated with robberies taking place at their homes and businesses. Here once again is Brian Palster. 90% of women surveyed said they don't feel safe in downtown Winnipeg after dark, walking alone. That's awful. Our plan, uh, and it's not exclusive to meth, because as you know, I mean, last year, a year ago it was opioids we were talking about, but our plan to deal with addictions is balanced, unlike the other uh, plan the NDP put forward, and it's balanced in this way. Treatment, absolutely. Provide treatment, and we've expanded with the RAM clinics and many new beds, millions, tens of millions of dollars already. More needs to be done on the treatment side. Don't stigmatize a drug addict. The, the whole family suffers. Everyone suffers with this affliction. But don't think you're going to solve the problem by making the drugs more available to the addict. No one has opened an injection site for meth on this planet, and this is the NDP's principal position they're advocating for. And it doesn't make sense. So we'll There's an example yeah. of why you need a debate. I think Wab Canoe, and I'm not going to speak for him, but I, I don't think I've heard anybody suggest that they open an exclusive we, uh, safe injection site for methamphetamine. No, just a safe injection site for drug users has been one of the pledges made by some of the parties. And I agree parties. with the Premier on his premise because I don't think it's been done successfully for meth, but it has been done for other drugs and there are all sorts of debates about what happens but around those facilities. Here's why I like a debate. Then Wab can, so he says something. Wab Canoe can come in and say, Correct. "Hang on, here's my point." It gets frustrating when they talk over one another, like I just did with you. But when you have a forum where it's longer and people can express themselves, then you can have that back and forth. As we head into the home stretch of the provincial 
The election campaign, our own Richard Cloutier, sat down with the leader of the Progressive Conservatives, the man who is campaigning to remain the Premier of Manitoba, Brian Pallister. And there has been plenty of discussion about Pallister's political future and whether or not he will remain Premier if... If Manitobans decide to re-elect you with a majority or minority government on September 10th, will you serve the entire term? Richard, I've never been, ever, and you've known me a long time. Uh, I started in politics in the early 90s, trying to help my town. You know, Portage was losing jobs, leaking opportunity, and I've never been more possessed with a sense of purpose. I've never been more inspired by the people of this province to find positive change. I've never been more excited about this job and about the chance to uh, work with a team of people, not just elected people, but people around the province that want to see real progress and want to move forward. So, you know, I guess that's the long answer to your question is as long as Manitobans want me uh, and I have a sense that they need me, uh, I would uh, be honoured to continue to dedicate myself to helping Manitoba get stronger and better. So full term? Absolutely. And uh, no sense. I'm young for my age. And nobody pushing you to retire and get get out of this. Well, you know, look, I, I read the polls. So do you. And I mean, I know I'm. I've had to do some really tough things, and I've, I've done them, uh, and that may, makes my unfavorable rating go up. Yeah. Okay. Well, my dad's unfavorable rating was really high when he was raising us too, because he had challenges and he had to meet them, and he said no to us a lot, and you know, we that wasn't always a favorable thing, if I could use that analogy. I think Manitobans want to have leadership that's willing to do the difficult, necessary things, that has the courage to look people in the eye and say, no, not right now, because we've got serious, serious needs, and your wants are going to have to be a little later. We could have played about four seconds of that minute 37 and got the, uh, and got the answer to the question, but I thought it was interesting for people to hear how... Brian Palster answered the question, and I liked the anecdote at the end. Sometimes Brian Palster's analogies get lost on me, just like some of mine might get lost on you. But I thought it was a pretty good one. Well, the hard the thing sometimes isn't the most popular or best thing to do for your political career. So I, I appreciate the anecdote there. My question about the full term is what is a full term to you? Is this Has this past three and a half years been a full ter- term? Because some people would argue no with an early election call. So is the promise to stay on for the full you know, four years, or is there going to be a going early? He says full term. We'll see. We've asked the question on Facebook. If you believe him, do you take Pallister at his word? Is it important to you that he stay premier for a full term if reelected? Now, debates. What about debates? Yeah, Pallister has done only one debate during the campaign, a 50-minute leaders debate that featured awkward and sometimes hostile exchanges between the leaders. The progressive conservative leader declined to participate in the Decision Manitoba 2019 leaders debate on 680 CGOB and the Winnipeg and Brandon Chambers debates, Loren. Brian Pallister stands by his record as premier and says he is speaking to Manitobans in a way he considers more progressive. Here again, CJOB's Richard Cloutier. But why not then debate him? Because we've had one debate... And he said, you know what, and, and you make some great compelling arguments. Sure. Why not do that because, on a one-on-one or another because, type of debate? Because we are running the most, amb- as you know, we are running the most ambitious outreach tour. We're going, we're not asking Manitobans to come to me. I am going out to Manitobans. We will pass 4,000 kilometers today. We will be over 50 ridings that I've been to by the end of the week. We have, 
we have. But that's not a clash of ideas. If oh, you sincerely Absolutely. believe... The electronic town halls, if you don't think it's a clash of ideas, i got to have you come and sit in on an electric town hall. Okay, electronic But that's still contained. 40, that's not a format that is of debate. And, and sir, 40, in 67 years of CJOB, this is the first time there hasn't been a premier's, a provincial leader's debate on CJOB. We used to go to town halls all the time, right? There were a lot of things that were different in the old days, Richard. Now you got to get with the new way of campaigning, and this is the new way. We've had over 40,000 Manitobans on our electronic town halls, asking tough questions, getting answers, and follow-up as a result of that as well. So I understand that CGOB wants that. I get it. A lot of organizations, Chamber, sure, Brandon sure, Chamber, sure, a lot of other This ones. isn't about what the organization wants. This is about getting out to Manitobans, and I'm doing that. I'm going out there. I'm seeing them. I'm with them. I'm hearing them, and I've been doing that. You'd since love to go one-on-one -on -one with Kenny, oh, wouldn't look, it's you? Not, I'm not You'd afraid. love to do that. You've known me a long time. You think I'm afraid of a debate? I'm afraid of not getting out to Manitobans the right way and going hard. Does the lack of debate among the leaders bother you? We have a text message here about something that does bother folks. Back to the question of things that should be illegal and tying it to this discussion. Brett, personal character assassination during elections should be outlawed. I used to be PC, but Palster has been so relentless with his degradation of canoe. That should be outlawed. Stick to the issues. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Broad is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Fortier, and we want to talk about something that Hal Anderson is going to do a bit later on today in Hal Anderson Afternoons. He stumbled upon something on Reddit, a thread discussing what is something legal that should be illegal. Greg Mackling, do you have some of the examples handy for this? You know what? I'm just, I've been reading the text messages that are coming in, so I didn't go to Hal's list. I'm kind of making my own from you. And the one that jumped out for me, donuts. Donuts should be illegal? Donuts. What? Yes, yes, yes. One Why? Of our Is it because they listeners. need to be saved from themselves? Well, basically. I'm, move, I'm moving to another country. Basically, the, <laughs> the thing here is the idea that uh, the last thing that people need in certain offices is donuts. Donuts, it's basically a lethal dose of sugar normalized as a breakfast food. For some reason at my work, several dozen donuts is the customary gift brought into the building by visiting clients. No one here needs a donut. Look around. <laughs> These guys need broccoli and aerobics. <laughs> that would be the worst gift. Okay, everybody, get up on your stepper. Come get your broccoli. <laughs> Line up for your broccoli. Uh, actually, I wouldn't mind that, but that's just me. Actually, I'm not a donut fan either, so I don't know if I'd take broccoli, but I'd be good with something else. Yeah. Some of the things on the list that uh, Hal found, though, were robo-telemarketing, mm -hmm. free trials that auto-charge when they run out, so you hmm. sign up for the free trial and yeah. you automatically ding on your credit I card. I never sign up for free trials because I'll forget. This yeah. one's my personal favorite. <laughs> Holding your phone like you're about to eat it with the loudspeaker on <laughs> while talking in public. Now, some people don't like to hold the phone next to their yes. ear because of the safety. Get and the earbuds. But why does that have to be everyone else's problem? Yeah. I'm just saying <laughs> why they do it. I didn't say I agreed. No, with oh, no, you're enabling again. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's also usually one of those conversations. Like, I don't mind that if... If you have a situation where, can you please pick up the kids? Or, okay, sorry, what time is the doctor's appointment again? Yeah. But it's usually just like this inane, I have like, what? It's like a deep dive into their medical history or something. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, It'll be like a speakerphone speaker conversation. <laughs> on. I'm like, I'm just at, this, at the mall and I thought I'd try on this. And, you know, like, what are you guys oh, doing later? Like, none of those things are urgent or need to 
have any of that echoed from the outside world. And it's never world. in this voice, right? Yeah. You no. always feel because the speaker's on, you have to speak as though... There is no speaker. You it have to it, shout always. It always gets me in the mall or in an airport or something like that where somebody's yapping away and you can't see the phone. And then all of a sudden you notice the earbud and you go, okay, this isn't someone that's talking <laughs> what, to what, invisible what, people. What else is on this list that jumped out for you guys? Or do you have your own, I've Kelly? Got, oh, I've got one. Uh, Brett, what jumped out? I would out? like to see... Lollygagging, if he made illegal. <laughs> what? what is lollygagging? Do- yeah, dawdling. You know, when people when people are crossing the streets and they're just taking their sweet time and they're able-bodied. Like if oh, someone is okay. able-bodied and they're just crawling. I thought you were along. maybe earmarking some poor older no, person trying no, to. No, I'm talking about able-bodied people who can clearly walk oh. faster, but they're just trapped in their own world and don't care. Or like when you're at a store, like trying to get out of a store and someone's in front of you at the mall. The mall. And people are just standing yeah. there. Yeah, and then you go, get out of my way! Me. And they, they look at you like you're offensive and you're, you're, you're literally standing in front of the exit. Like, take one step aside, man. Yeah, some people just don't have any, they either don't care or they just have no clue about their surroundings. Jeff Braun, you've got all kinds of pet peeves. Probably. (laughs) A big one for me is uh, at the drive-thru when it's, it's like a Tim Hortons and there's 50 people waiting to get a coffee Mm -hmm. and then somebody orders at like 9 a.m. like dinner for six. And it's just like, (laughs) well, what's the matter with Go into the restaurant if you're going to... Because you, you'll sit there for like ten minutes waiting for them to get their food. I it's agree ridiculous, with you, Jeff. I never. It needs to be in a what happens coffee if it's only line. One adult and they have three or four children in the car that they don't want to leave. They don't want to have to go through the hassle of taking them Quit out of the car. Quit bringing reason into yeah. the conversation, uh, Kelly. Okay, <laughs> Jeff is correct. Yeah, you shouldn't be exactly. feeding your kids Tim Hortons for breakfast anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and plan your life better. Do they not have... They have uh, egg whites and plenty of healthy things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do they not yeah. have a spot where you can pull around? Like a lot of drive throughs will say it's going to take a few minutes for yeah, your food. Sometimes they don't. Tim okay. Hortons does not typically yeah. do that. Oh, boy. I've never seen that happen at Tim <laughs> oh. Hortons. Okay. They're, they're, yeah. they're of the mindset that you will sit there and wait for our coffee because we think that highly of ourselves. Jeff <laughs> Forte, what about you? Mine is basically exactly what you said. Uh, somebody who's on their phone and blocking a door. It happened to me yesterday, actually. <laughs> really? Was it me? Yeah. No, no, no. I, 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 was at my apartment. I was at my apartment, and I had uh, my hands filled with groceries, and so I'm trying to get through the door. And this woman's blocking the door, and I'm going, get out of the way. And she's on her cell phone. Yeah. So I wish, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff be illegal. Yeah. Ellie? Two quick things, to, if they're not already on the list. Number one are the amount of people who walk through a mall or on a sidewalk with their head down, totally oblivious to anyone who might be in their path. And the other one is... Because I they're on their phones? Cell phone. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, they, they, they've got their head down on their cell phone, and they're simply not looking. The other one is... I paid good money to the, see the movie or listen to the concert. Please do not talk through the entire show. Yeah, that's a that one drives me nuts when people are yapping during a movie. And I have no problem turning around and telling them, hey, can you please shut up or can you yeah. please stop kicking my seat? Or the lobby is right over there. Yeah. yeah. And then they look at you like you've somehow inconvenienced them. I got yeah. one guy wanted to fight me because I told him to shut up. I was during, did you say shut <laughs> up? Did you only say shut up or did you say shut the fridge up? No, I think I, no, I didn't, I didn't curse okay. at him. I okay. just turned it. It was Independence Day. The movie was Independence Day. It was 1996 at Kildonan Place. And I turned around <laughs> and I said to this guy, because he wouldn't shut up the whole movie. I'm like, can you please shut up? And uh, he threatened me. So we didn't end up, we didn't end up. 
yeah. thrown down. But yeah, it's no. like when somebody tells you to calm down or to settle down or to simmer down. Chill, bro. The last time, last thing you're doing is chilling, simmering, or calming down. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson suffered a major defeat in Parliament uh, last night as rebellious lawmakers voted to seize control of the Brexit agenda, prompting the embattled Prime Minister to say he would call for a new general election. The people of this country will have to choose, Mr Speaker. The leader of the opposition has been begging for an election for two years. He has crowds of supporters outside calling for an election. I don't want an election, but if MPs vote tomorrow to stop negotiations and to compel another pointless delay to Brexit, potentially for years, then that would be the only way to resolve this. And I can confirm that we are tonight tabling a motion under the fixed-term Parliament Act. Boris Johnson says he doesn't want an election, but he kind of sounds like maybe he does. Global's Redmond Shannon is in London to sort it all out for us. So uh, where are we at here? What's really happened in the last 24 hours or so, Redmond? Oh, my goodness. What what hasn't happened? I feel like every time I've, uh, I'm have i writing a script for TV or something, and by the time I finished a sentence, something else has changed, and I have to go back to the start of the sentence. It is, it's nonstop. It's, it's unprecedented stuff all the time. But uh, over the last 24 hours, basically, as you guys said, the opposition seized control of the parliamentary agenda here, but they had the help of 21 Conservative MPs who, uh, along with the opposition, say that a no-deal Brexit, uh, potentially on October 31st, the UK leaving without any type of a deal with the EU, that that would be hugely harmful to the British economy. So they joined up so that they can table a bill today, later today, to prevent that no deal from happening on October 31st and to uh, um, compel Boris Johnson to look for a delay to Brexit, a third delay that would be after Theresa May's two delays, he would have to go to the EU and ask for that delay. Now, he has put his neck on the line when he became Prime Minister at the end of July, saying the last thing he would do was delay Brexit further, that it's Brexit deal or no deal on October 31st. So he says if this wins tonight and it beats him, if this uh, uh, law is passed compelling him to look for a delay, he will look for a general election. The problem is he needs the support of two-thirds of the House of Commons in order to make that election happen. And right now, that looks like it's very unlikely to happen. So we will be yet again in a very uncharted territory if that comes to pass tonight. So in reality, who wants a general election in this case? Is it Boris Johnson or is it, as Johnson suggests, the opposition? It is uh, the opposition say they want it, but not just yet, because they fear they well, they don't trust Boris Johnson. They fear that an election will be called, say, for October the 15th, which is the latest date being thrown out there. But the deadline is on October 31st. But the in theory, the prime minister can then, after it is called, unilaterally push back the election date and he could set it for after October 31st. Therefore, there would be no power left in Parliament and no ability left in Parliament to do anything about it. The UK would hit 11pm on October 31st and would fall out legally out of the EU without any deal. And therefore, he would achieve his goal um, by 
pushing back that election. So the uh, just for for example, the, the former Prime Minister Tony Blair called this election call, uh, call earlier this week. He said the prospect of an election is an elephant trap for which the current uh, leadership of the opposition should not fall. And it looks like they aren't going to go for that just yet unless they can be assured that the no deal won't happen on October 31st. Our guest is Global's Redmond Shannon joining us live in London. But Greg, I'll ask you a question. You are particularly fascinated by this story. Do you sometimes feel like... You're in isolation with that? A hundred percent. And it's the theater. It's also the intricacies of Parliament Redmond that has me fascinated. Uh, Great Britain has uh, some amazing theater within its parliamentary system. Uh, Even though we have the same system here in Canada, uh, Britain's uh, uh, entertainment value, I think, is far superior. Why should Canadians be paying attention to this story? Uh, Help me get more people uh, fascinated, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Redmond. Yeah, and I understand exactly what you're saying. I mean, it's a lot of it's very procedural and it's far away and it's the UK and the EU, so why should you care? I mean, some of it, the theatrics is very uh, intriguing for anyone who's inclined towards politics. For example, you had when those 21 uh, government MPs voted against uh, or at least Conservative MPs, voted against the government last night. Boris Johnson kicked them all out of the party. It was it, Honestly, it was something very Shakespearean about it. Use the word theatre because you had the longest-serving MP in the House of Commons, Kenneth Clark, who's been 49 years with the Tories, kicked out. You had the grandson of Winston Churchill sitting there on TV last night saying he's, gen- gen- uh, generally speaking, he's uh, glad that he voted against the government and is fine with his decision to be that he knew would kick him out of the Conservative Party after 37 years in MP. Sir Nicholas Soames says, yeah, he won't be running as Conservative again. That generation from Churchill down to him ended last night with him kicked out unceremoniously from the party. Remarkable, remarkable stuff. But uh, anyone who owns a business in Canada that imports or exports uh, to the UK, they could potentially be affected because... Uh, you know, right now, the European Union, the 28 countries here that are currently in the European Union have this new trade deal with Canada, this free trade agreement, which applies to almost every industry. Um, if the UK leaves without a deal on October 31st, then you have instant trade tariffs applied between the UK and every country in the world. I mean, the UK, if it falls out overnight on October 31st by default, will probably Um, and by most reckonings, be the only country in the world that has no trade agreement with anyone anywhere for trade, which would be remarkable. And then you have so many issues when it comes to medicines, food, um, how how trade will work. All the trade and imports and exports here between the UK and the EU rely on uh, trucks being able to roll freely across borders, come off the ferries and, and come in. If they all need to be stopped and checked overnight, it will be chaos. Redmond, thank you so much for unwrapping this and unraveling this fascinating story for many of us. We will uh, keep in touch and keep an eye on this. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Global's Redmond Shannon joining us live from London. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Back to school. Kids have gone back to school today. And Loren McNabb has fled the station, so she too can go back to school. Loren, are you there? 
I'm here, and I'm a little jealous of some of these kids that I see walking in, guys. They've got their braids all nicely done and tight, uh, new outfits, new backpacks for some of them. And the principal of Bairdmore School, which is where I am, in the Waverly West Fort Richmond neighborhood, uh, has been greeting them as they walk in, welcoming them in them back as well, because we've got some eager beavers here. His name is Doug Yonason, and he's with us now. And Doug, for you, is this excitement, nervousness? What do you feel on a day like today? It's a mixture of both. <laughs> I still remember when I was a young kid and what that felt like, and it, it feels similar now, just a little different because I'm older. There's kids who are feeling it. There's parents that are feeling it too, sure. particularly you're a K-6 school, about 390 students. Some of them are walking in these doors for the first time. What do you say to those parents and those kids in terms of preparation and how to deal with today? Well, I mean, it's, for some it's harder than others. Obviously, if you're a new parent, your first child going to kindergarten, uh, that can be stressful because you don't want to see them go necessarily. So we always say this is a welcoming place of belonging and your child will belong here. Uh, it doesn't matter what country you come from, doesn't matter your background, we welcome all and that's the important thing about public school. What is one of the favorites that you hear from kids when they come? Like, you know, those exclamations like, whoa, this is so cool, the locker or whatever it might be. So, you know what, it's mostly about people. So, I don't know if you noticed when the two girls saw each other, there's this kind of loving embrace because some kids haven't seen each other for a while and so they're really excited to see. The thing that happens all the time in the first couple of days is that you can look at it with that sense of excitement because mm -hmm. it's early. And then when you get into the school year, you have the stresses, you might not be learning as well as you can. Are there things we should watch for as a parent in these early days in terms of helping our kids adjust? Absolutely. Um, like I'm sure you watch media just like I do. So lots more coverage on mental health kinds of things. So if you notice that your child is not wanting to come to school, and this is not just a one-off, it happens a lot, then make sure you contact you know the school's administration or the school counselor or resource teacher just to see if you can get some advice and get some help uh, for, for your child. Um, because sometimes kids get nervous, and that's natural. We want kids to be nervous. Uh, that kind of builds resiliency. But if it's going on and on and on, then something's not right and you know as a parent often you get a feeling yeah something's going on and so get help do you have the supports you need for those kinds of things because i know even as a parent myself sometimes the kids might say my stomach hurts i, I don't i want to come home they make it that phone call or sometimes you have it in the morning and you can think to yourself okay it might be an illness or it might be something more yeah. but when i go to the school are the supports going to be there for me do you find that that is still a challenge as an educator Oh, supports of all, I mean, they'll always be there. Uh, is it more of a challenge today? Uh, probably, like, in, I think I'm in my 30th year. Uh, we probably have more mental health things now than we used to um, for a myriad of reasons. Um, some of it has to do with people from different countries, and we're all you know getting together and trying to get along and learn about one another and that's really important but yes the supports are there um, you know some people might say well we need more and of course you could always have more but we do well with the supports that we have we have a great staff very supportive of children and all kinds of children election less than a week away I don't yeah. want to ask you political questions I don't want to put you on the yeah. spot but I do know that education is going to be a big part of the next four years no matter who is elected as principal of a school is there one thing on your wish list that you would like to see governments at any level do 
Well, I think I would be in line with um, some of the things that MTS has said in terms of uh, some kind of universal meal program. Uh, we, I've seen at this school, uh, poverty is a real tough thing. And so people that are uh, just struggling, so having something where kids had a healthy meal at lunch or at breakfast, for example, would be fabulous. Obviously, they wouldn't do both. But. I want to point out to our listeners that, you know, you're in a, we're in a kind of a neighborhood, a suburb near the south perimeter Absolutely. that you might assume has more affluence to it, more wealth. And even here, you're seeing that need yeah. for breakfast programs or lunch programs. Yeah, yeah, for sure I am. Yeah. How hard is that when you see someone going hungry? Well, you know what, that's an interesting question because kids won't admit that they're hungry necessarily. So what we do is we'll have food in our fridges in the resource area and we'll give kids food. And it's, um, yeah, it's not easy for those kids, right? Because they, they want to be like everyone else and not have to need food. So uh, sometimes it's hard to see. One piece of safety advice as we head back to school. I know the school patrols are setting up. There's yeah. advice for people to watch the buses. That's going to be a key as we all get on the roads today. I'm speaking to Doug Johanneson, principal of Bairdmore School. He informed me his name's Icelandic, guys, so I worked to get that right. Before I let him go, one last question. Number one thing you would say to a kid today to help them get going? Oh, I would just welcome them. Even if I didn't know them, I would like welcome to Bairdmore. Uh, we're very happy that you're here. And I would do the same thing for the families and the parents because a sense of belongingness in this diverse uh, community is really important. All right. Thanks very much again. Yeah. Doug Yonison, Principal of Bairdmore School. We're out in Fort Richmond near the Waverly West neighborhood. We'll go back to you guys. Eager Beaver, hey? I like that one. They just used to, in my day, used to call you Keener. Are you some sort These are of eager beavers here. Sit in the front row, put up your hand all the time. What are you, some sort of keener, Mackling? Yes, that was you a keener are. sometimes. Been asking the question on social media, got anxiety? There's an app for that. Well, that's right. And I think we've been hearing it all morning, Brad. I'm out at Bairdmore School in South Winnipeg. We just spoke to the principal prior to eight about some of the stresses of back to school, some of the anxiety they see with mental health issues. And whether you're in kindergarten or heading across the campus this morning for your first day of lectures at the U of M or say the U of W, or you already started it at Red River College, you just might be feeling some of those stresses because it's not just about school. You might be commuting. You might be living on your own for the first time. And so that's why health advocates have created a new resource. It's called From Surviving to Thriving, Developing Personal and Academic Resilience. Mary Ann Baton is the Director of Strategy and Collaboration at Winnipeg's Great West Life Centre for Mental Health in the Workplace, helped develop this technology, and she joins us now to explain the resource. Good morning, Mary. How are you? Doing well, Mary. Thank you very much. Go ahead, Loretta. Go ahead, Loretta. What's the need here? Well, I think I think you actually described it is that um, often students are away from home, maybe for the first time, trying to live on their own, trying to juggle both academic pressures, but also personal and social pressures. And where they had that support system in their family, their friends and community, that may not be there now in the same way. They've got to start all over to create that kind of support system. And we know that um, coping strategies really are dependent on your earlier years, what you've learned, what you've experienced. And for some people, it's always been um, family and friends 
that provide their coping for them. So we really looked at this and thought, how could we help? How could we actually make a difference? And we pulled together experts from across the country, including students themselves, people that work with students, people that treat students, and really said, what are the things that are not clinical but could help every single student identify their stressors and look at coping strategies that will work for them? A willingness to examine this either on your own or with others, Marianne, is a huge step in the process. So I would suggest just downloading this app that we'll learn a little bit more about in just a moment here is a terrific first step. And and you might even call it uh, two or three steps out of five or six. Well, and you know, you make a good point because I think there are certainly students who are self-motivated, who are continually looking for ways to improve the quality of their life, to improve themselves. And they can go directly to Workplace Strategies for MentalHealth.com and download it. But what we're really hoping, and we know already that there's universities and colleges across the country, the University of Manitoba, the University of Winnipeg, Red River College, those names have already been in contact with us, and they want to facilitate it for their students. So rather than expecting someone to go and pick it up themselves, they'll actually host sessions where they'll help students go through this It's a very simple, easy tool. There's lists of things, and it's just to start to think about what stresses me out and what can I do about it and where can I reach out for help. So how does one get get their hands on this tool then? What do they do? So the tool is free because Canada Life... um, funded it. They provided the full support. So it's free to anyone in English and in French. And it's on that website, WorkplaceStrategiesForMentalHealth.com. And is it it a downloadable app or do we just go to the site? It it is. It's a fillable PDF if they want to do it digitally. But it's also printable if someone would rather sit and do it with pen and paper. I will tell you that what we're looking at for 2020 is making it more of an interactive app, but it can be done completely online already. Well, the resources are essential, and uh, the more people that know about them, uh, the better. Can you just give us that website one more time, Marianne? Sure. It's Workplace Strategies for Mental Health. It's long, but once you put it in once, it's easy to get back to. All right, Marianne. Hey, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this important initiative that you've been working on. This is uh, going to be a huge help for a lot of people. Oh, that's great. Thanks for featuring it. Take care now. Marianne Bainton, Director of Strategy and Collaboration at Winnipeg's Great West Life Centre for Mental Health in the Workplace, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Hi, my name is Larry Gifford. I'm 47 years old, a husband and a dad with a great career and a degenerative brain disorder without a cure. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. And on this show, I'll share with you and my co-host, Nikki Reitmeyer, the journey into what it's like to live and work with the disease. This season, we'll look into how Parkinson's is progressing and changing my personality. And it turns out I'm not the only one. So I talked to others with the disease, like American Ninja Warrior Jimmy Choi. I'd rather have a tumor in my brain than Parkinson's. 
This podcast was named among Apple's best uh, podcasts of 2018 in our country, and he was. It was also a finalist in two categories for the Canadian Podcast Awards, and was the official podcast of the World Parkinson Congress this past June in Kyoto, Japan. Season two of the Curious Cast podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's, debuts today. Larry Gifford is the host, and he joins us now. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. You host this podcast with the ultimate perspective, I believe, on any topic, lived experience. When were you diagnosed with Parkinson's, Larry? Uh, I was diagnosed two years ago, uh, last uh, in August, so August 17th, 2017, uh, after about eight years of uh, disparate symptoms that I was trying to write off as getting old and being out of shape. <laughs> what kind of symptoms? So it's starting with a uh, foot drag uh, where I just couldn't, I, I wasn't picking up my feet and my, my wife noticed it as we were like hiking and stuff. And she goes, you know, you're pretty noisy when you walk. Can you pick up your feet some? And I'm like, actually I'm trying to, and I'm not very successful at it. Uh, maybe I'm just overweight or out of shape. And then uh, I uh, began to have like numbness in my feet. I had, uh, I was having trouble writing. Uh, my, my signature got really small. My writing got really small and illegible. Uh, I, I lost my sense of smell. Uh, all these things don't seem like they're associated with any one thing, but they're all signs of Parkinson's. Now, the statistics that you shared with us uh, say that 9,000 people are diagnosed with Parkinson's in Canada each year. How difficult was it to get that diagnosis? Uh, you mentioned eight years in terms of struggling w- with different things. Was it a challenge to finally get a doctor to say this was this what's going on with you? Well, they, they were they were curious because by the time I got to the doctor, I had collected enough symptoms that I, it should have been uh, fairly easy. Uh, but the tremor really sent me to the doctor, uh, and they thought at first I had uh, MS, multiple sclerosis. So they sent me to a neurologist for that, and he's like, "No, it's not MS, but I think you have Parkinson's. We'll send you over to a Parkinson specialist." So it actually took probably six or eight months for me, which is pretty good. I know some people it's taken years and years. Because, because there's over 40 different possible symptoms, it's, and Parkinson's in itself isn't one thing. It's a collection of these symptoms, and so it's hard to diagnose. So the roster for Season 2, in terms of your guests, is fairly imp- it's quite impressive because you don't just tell your story. You tell the story of others, as we heard in that clip, including a gentleman who is a regular guest on CJOB, proud Winnipegger, Tim Haig. Can you maybe give us a snapshot of your conversation with Tim? Well, so Tim and I, uh, we've, we've had a couple of interviews, and, and we've become fast friends. And, and we, uh, we, my wife and his wife and the four of us, we had dinner in Kyoto, Japan together. And uh, before before we broke bread, we, we sat down and we talked for about an hour as, as couples and how as couples we're going through Parkinson's. And so throughout the season, we'll be sprinkling that content uh, in, into different episodes based on the topic of the, of the week. Uh, and uh, you know, Tim, Tim is a great uh, example of somebody – who, who really was kind of down and out and turned it, turned it around. And his positivity and his perseverance really uh, helped uh, him, you know, not, not only start his own foundation and an organization there in Winnipeg, but also to, to win season one of uh, Amazing Race Canada, which is incredible. Larry, you mentioned MS. My my baby sister lives with MS, and her struggles are our family struggles to a great degree. And I know you've got children, and you're married. 
expand a little bit more about the the stressors on your family life but before we we highlight the the positivity that I think you're bringing with regard to your battle against parkinson's well i mean when when somebody is diagnosed with parkinson's it's not just one person diagnosed it's their family is diagnosed with it i mean everybody's got to deal with it my mom's got to deal with it my my wife my son my brothers my sister my friends my coworkers i mean everybody kind of gets a piece of it uh, which if if the person with parkinson's shares that news and not everybody does uh especially not right away but um, it's hard. You know, you got a 10-year-old son, and you're trying to explain to him, yes, son, I can't uh, play Lego right now because I can't keep my eyes open because I'm pure exhaustion and I need a nap. Or I can't play Frisbee because uh, I've lost my coordination and I don't know how to release it on time to throw it with you. Uh, those are hard conversations to have, and he doesn't understand. He just wants to play. So you focus in this season about how Parkinson's is changing your personality. Uh, how significant is the change? Uh, I think fairly minor right now. Uh, my wife has noticed I've become uh, a little uh, quicker to uh, temper. Uh, so I, I just, my reactions are a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, uh, I have less patience, let's say. I, I used to have the patience of Job, uh, and now uh, apparently I don't. I thought I was getting more mild-mannered and more easygoing and more open-hearted. And, and she's like, oh, well, you, you do... Uh, you, I don't know that I'd say that. <laughs> well, you know, that, that outside perspective and having a teammate is critical with anything you're dealing with. Uh, why are you sharing this, Larry? We've got to let you run here, but this is a, such a personal, a powerful uh, a statement on your behalf. But but why are you doing it? You know what? I, I think through storytelling, we can impact change, not only in the uh, in the lives of people with Parkinson's and their families, but in the way that uh, the drug companies perceive us, the way the medical community perceives us, there's a lot of educating that needs to happen on all levels of treating Parkinson's. And uh, that's, that's really, I, I want to be an advocate and, and, and make a change. Larry Gifford joining us live on 680 CJOB. He is the host of the podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. It debuts today, its second season on Curious Cast. Larry, thank you very much for the time and for doing what you do. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You can get a link to that podcast on the 680 CJOB Instagram story, or if you follow us on Twitter, we just retweeted something that Larry sent out this morning, and you'll be able to follow the links to the podcast there. on a fixed income and you haven't got a lot of money and then that education tax bill comes in and you go gosh you know that's I don't know if I can afford to do much entertaining you know I can't buy a new dress there's like there's sacrifices this is why I say that this bill shouldn't be coming off the kitchen tables of seniors and it shouldn't be coming off property owners that want to improve their properties Mackling McGarry and McNabb and that was Premier Brian Pallister bringing defunk Promising that if re-elected, it's the name of the song by Daft Punk, promised if re-elected, his party will gradually phase the education tax out of property bills over the next 10 years. Yeah, that process would start in 2023, so there's a lot of ifs in this equation, and the Conservatives say they will make up the difference with general revenue, promising funding levels will be, quote, unaffected. But as kids and teachers head back to school, there are many unanswered questions. Loren McNabb is outside Bairdmore School in the Fort Richmond, Waverly West area. Loren, uh, what say you on this? And 
What say your guest? Well, I'm staying outside Bearmore School, as you mentioned, and just a few minutes ago, I need to mention this, a few seconds ago, the principal came on and said it was time to stand for O Canada. So if you're hearing that in the background, that's what's going on. We're doing our best to stand at attention here while this is happening, school students just traipsing in now. But as you mentioned, one of the big questions with the promise made by Brian Pallister yesterday, if re-elected, has to do with those education taxes. James Bedford is the president of the Manitoba Teachers Society. And when you talk about changing the way you're funding things, James, one of the questions becomes, well, then how are we going to continue funding and keep it at the levels as promised by the Conservatives? Are you concerned that you might see a freeze or potentially a reduction in funding as a result of this possible change? I think we're very concerned about that because what's lacking in the announcement is the plan to uh, replace over $800 million of local taxation with provincial money. When it comes to the inability or your concern about the ability to replace those dollars, where do the conversations go then in, amongst teachers? Because there's been concerns in the past few years with the different uh, reviews underway that you might see wholesale changes and, and dollars might be impacted. Absolutely. Uh, with the plan announced yesterday, it, it doesn't seem that uh, the details going forward uh, to replace that $800 million on an annual basis are there. What would you like then in terms of a promise? Are you looking for a consistent funding level? Absolutely. We're looking for education funding uh, that is accountable, uh, that will keep up with the rate of inflation, but it'll also keep up with the growth in public education. We're annually seeing over a 1% growth in the number of students who are coming into our classrooms. And the addition to the funding last year was about 0.5%, about $6.6 .6 million. That's the same funding level increase that school board saw, school division saw rather, in the last two years. And so the question has to be, well, at the very least, it be kept at that. Well, at the very least, it has to meet the rate of inflation, which is over 2% currently. But additionally, it's the growth in our student populations. One final question before that buzzer goes again. I'm not sure what might come next. There's a lot of things on the wish list of kids today. They're all looking for fun. I just spoke to a student who said he's super excited to be at school because he has new shoes. When it comes to teachers, if there was one thing on your wish list, what would it be? I think to address student poverty, uh, childhood poverty rates are, are among the highest in Canada and we need to meet the needs of students on a very basic level. Uh, their food concerns when they come into classes, clothing concerns, uh, so addressing childhood poverty is very, very high on our list. Looking back on this day, was this a day for you of excitement or trepidation? I've seen a bit of both this morning. I think it's both. I think as a teacher, it's a very exciting time. You get to see new students in your classroom. You get to reconnect with colleagues. But you're also a little trepidatious uh, as to what the future holds with the provincial election happening next week. James Bedford, president of the Manitoba Teachers Society. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, uh, we mentioned about an hour ago a lot of people coming to school early. I'm now seeing a couple kids coming in late. Which category were you in, late or early? I was always uh, usually early, but more just on time. <laughs> if we're talking, it depends what level of schooling. At high school, I was always late. Hey, we got a text message here, Loren. I don't know if you've overheard anything like this. Our listener says, I overheard a mom, I guess she was dropping off kids at school, asking her daughter what she's looking forward to as she starts a new school. Her answer, going home. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that yet, but you know what, guys? I've been talking to the young ones, right? And so when you're little, 
like I, we'll play you some audio from a cute uh, grade oneer named Seth who just he's got his shoes he's excited about he's excited about his desk I mean he's got all those little things he's excited about as you get older you learn that school is about work and not just about new shoes and playing so yeah I can I hear where that kid's coming from We're less than a week out, as we mentioned before, Manitobans head to the polls. So that means you are going to see campaign signs everywhere. But what should you do if you find one on your property that you didn't put there? It's not like a pizza that shows up on your doorstep unexpectedly, right? Would you eat a pizza, though, that just showed up unexpectedly? Oh, well, if if the delivery man was looking for someone and they, well, I didn't order that. Well, I can't take it back. You might as well have it. That's a happy surprise. Yeah, that would be great. (laughs) That would be good. Well, listen, a Winnipegger says this happened to him regarding an election sign that just showed up. Global News reporter Tristan Field-Jones has the story and also takes a look at regulations surrounding campaign signs. Frank Douglas has a family home on Burroughs Avenue in the Point Douglas constituency, and they've been there for about 90 years. He tells me about an incident that happened last week involving a campaign sign and a volunteer who tried to attach it to his chain-link fence. I was at home, sitting in the living room, and I heard footsteps coming up the stairs, and I see two little children little boy and a little girl, blonde hair, and a little boy is putting a pamphlet in the mailbox. Outside my fence is this woman, presumably the mother, getting ready to attach a sign to my fence without my permission. She could have easily walked up to the door. I was sitting there for quite some time. That It was obvious someone was at home. The, the inside door was open. The outside screen door was closed. And uh, I get this. I, so I told her, no, thank you. So I didn't think much of it until I read this pamphlet. Thanks for agreeing to take a lawn-slash-fence election sign for Bernadette Smith in Manitoba's NDP. Well, there was no agreement. I was sitting right in the house. An adult did not come to the door, introduce themselves, and ask if they could put up a sign. Frank thought that was the end of it, but there was a second incident when he returned on Sunday. I come back from the lake, and there's a Bernadette Smith sign. And one of these notices placed in the door saying that I agreed to it. I wasn't in town. How could I agree to something? And in this uh, pamphlet that they give you, which is very difficult to read, it says, if this was placed in error, now explain the error. Like, I I can't see. When I'm at home, no one asks me, and how could you ask me if I'm not at home? Why this this was, was targeted twice, I have no idea. I've never had a sign on that property. Never had, in any other election, had the NDP put a sign on my, on the lawn. Ever. He says his mom, who used to live there, would have voted years ago when she was able to, but overall his family wasn't very politically active. And as far as he knows, none of them are card-carrying members of any political party. Frank tells me why he's so concerned about these signs being placed on his property. The danger I see in this is that, I mean, I could have been gone the whole long weekend, correct? Mm-hmm. And that sign could have sat on my fence for days. And people in the neighborhood who know who I am, who know our family from you know, like decades, could think, oh, I'm not sure who to vote for. Oh, Frank Frank has an NDP sign. Maybe I'll vote for the NDP. Frank knows what he's doing. It could influence people in the neighborhood the way they, they vote, possibly. I could have a friend drive down, drive down the street. I have friends who live in the neighborhood. And, you know, they could drive down. Oh, Frank's got an NDP sign. Oh, yeah, I wasn't sure who to vote for. Well, Frank thinks the NDP is okay. Maybe I'll vote for the NDP. So what are the rules when it comes to election sign etiquette? 
I reached out to Elections Manitoba and the City of Winnipeg for more information. The only strict requirement is that no campaigning, including signs, can be done within a 50-meter radius of a voting location while voting is underway. There is no legislation that covers signs placed on private property. Elections Manitoba says campaigns should always get permission before placing a sign on private property, and if that's done without permission, the owner can remove the sign and should contact the party if they have concerns. What about public property? Well, for that, you have to look at municipal regulations. For Winnipeg, signs are regulated under a neighborhood livability bylaw. If that bylaw is violated, you can be fined $200 for an individual and up to $400 for a corporation. Signs cannot obstruct pedestrians or vehicles. They can't block traffic signs or devices. They can't be placed in a median, and if attached to a pole, the only material you can use is clear adhesive tape. Additionally, signs must be at least 30 meters away from an intersection and 2 meters from a curb. I also reached out to the NDP to ask how they prepare volunteers who go door knocking. I was told they make it clear that you must ask permission first before placing signs, and the incidents involving Frank Douglas are likely a mistake. Thank you very much, Tristan Field-Jones. Hey, McNabb, what would you do if you decided to walk outside and sit on your judging porch with your basset hound, and uh, lo and behold, someone was walking away having just put up an election sign you didn't ask for? In this hypothetical scenario with my basset hound, I would sick that dog on them, and then the basset hound, being what it is, lazy, would maybe lift its head and grunt. But I would definitely have something to say. Mackling? I love the ones where uh, candidates have felt it necessarily to put their signs on public property, whether it's allowed or not. Like, seriously, you can't find anybody in your constituency and you're riding to welcome a sign on their front lawn and then you're going to litter my boulevard with your signs come on I, it's a weak move on my, in my in my perspective dangerous move too don't Not you think to mention just the, sorry we were well, just, just for that's the, what i was just yeah for the just so for the listeners who know uh, with loren being on location there's a slight delay so that's why we just stepped on each other there but uh, i think it's kind of a dangerous move there McNabb, for for these candidates and these parties because they're almost daring people not to vote for them. That was exactly where I was going, Brett. I think from this, then you just have bad PR. And so I think there's a lot to be gained by having that sign put on a line, a lawn. I'm looking at three different parties, three different election signs in Fort Richmond right now uh, as we talk back to school, among other things. And if they've been put up there legitimately, then you have a person advocating for that party. And that, that's more powerful than the person now upset that the sign was put there in the first place. All right. Well, McNabb, are you, when, are, when are you coming back? Are you just going to stay there? We, you, you sent a picture out on your Twitter about this awesome chair that you found. It's shaped like, what is that, a ball glove? It's a ball glove and it's multicolored and it's super comfy. And so I've been sitting in it on and off for the last couple hours in a library surrounded by books. It's nice and quiet. The librarian even offered to shut the door so I could have some peace. And yeah, I'm a little tempted to stick around because if you step in the hallway, guys, it's super noisy. These kids are raring to go this morning. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.